It's Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? It's called a fituation. Ever heard of it? I just heard about it five minutes ago. <laughs> and that's fitch. Fituation, not situation. We're going to get through this episode, and in the end, we're going to wrap up a little fituation for you with a bow. You'll know why we are using that term when we get to the <laughs> end of this episode. It'll make sense. It'll make sense. Bet you didn't think we were going to start with the Portuguese colony, former colony of Macau. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that we only heard about, well, a few months ago. <laughs> Yeah, we did. We did. We were, we are the discoverers of Macau. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When we stumbled upon this the fact that Portugal had owned a colony in China, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I, like, I knew, like, obviously, like, I knew about all these, like, Portuguese colonies and there's Goa and East Timor and there was others that you learned about in school ages ago, right? Right. Yeah. But it just... It didn't click to me. I guess maybe the timing is what was throwing me off too. Because if you had told me like, oh, Portugal had a colony in China. Okay, great. But like they gave it back in 1999. (laughs) Not that long ago. (laughs) Like they still owned it in 1999. Yeah, like insane. If you were what, like seventh grade? Sixth grade, eighth grade, seventh grade, more or less. Yeah, we were in middle school. Middle school, yeah. And Portugal was out there just being like, oh, we're sorry, we'll give this <laughs> colony back to you. Because apparently that's what we do. That's what people do. Hong Kong was British. Yep. For 150 years. And that got given back, I don't know, roughly around the same time, maybe. I think Hong Kong was first. And then Macau Which? followed suit. This is really sad because I only knew about the Hong Kong thing because the show The Crown on Netflix, they they go back into like obviously one the seasons are like different decades. So one decade of whatever it was when Queen Elizabeth was queen doing her queen thing, it showed like um like a ceremony of them giving them Hong Kong back to I guess Hong Kong where like and like I don't know what I'm talking about, but there was an episode <laughs> about it, and I was just like, "Wait, holy crap!" <laughs> it was like owned by England. I only figured that out when I was looking up Macau, and it was talking about how like, oh, and then we gave it back, like Hong Kong was given back by the British, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so we like didn't like just miss the class in history when they were teaching us this. Like they definitely didn't teach us this, probably. I was definitely not paying attention. <laughs> No, definitely not. And so Macau is uh, an hour drive from Hong Kong. It's technically it was like an island, but then like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like an hour drive from here. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about how far it is from here, though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, no, that, no, it's not. It's an hour from Hong Kong, like by car. You can hop in a car, get from Hong Kong to Macau. It used to be an island. But then there's like a little sandbar closed up. So now it's like called a peninsula, I guess. It was a big bridge, big bridges. And it's fucking Portuguese. Like, if you zoom in, it's in China. Yeah, it's awesome. If you go to Google Maps, which we did the second we learned about this, 
we pulled up a Google map <laughs> and we started zooming in and every street name is in Portuguese. And if you go into like the street view, well, you know, you put the little yellow man on the street and you start zooming around. You look like you're in Lisboa. Like, <laughs> all the the stonework, it's the Portuguese style stonework on all the roads. And then all the architecture is Portuguese. All the buildings look Portuguese. The uh, churches. churches. They a have bunch these of them. Catholic churches <laughs> in the middle of China. Like they're not even Catholic out there. Like <laughs> just wild. Like they're Macau is broken up into Fregziish. <laughs> like if you look at Macau's like administrative government, it is, it's fucking Fregziish. <laughs> It's so wild. There's a freguesia of Nossa Senhora. It's Fatima. <laughs> and then there's a freguesia of Santo Anton. It's literally Portuguese. And like every street sign now has like the dual. The it has two, two, yeah. The two official languages are Portuguese and then I think Cantonese. Or Macanese is like some kind of, or I guess it's not called Macanese. Patua or something is like the hybrid language that the, the locals used to speak i guess but Mm -hmm. i think cantonese and portuguese are the official languages and so all the like signs road signs any official government shit it's all in portuguese and chinese symbols (laughs) together as one so it's just another destination i can set my send my parents to (laughs) and they would fit right in the more i read about it the more it is absolutely on my bucket list. Like, I want to go there. I'm always down. But you just fucking can't get there, dude. I looked up flights because I was like, what's the situation to get from Boston to Macau? <laughs> and, you know, when you're looking up flights and like if there's going to be like an overnight travel or something and there's like you see like the little like plus one next mm-hmm. to the next to like the time to indicate that it's like the next day it's like one day ahead when you look up flights from boston to macau there's a little plus two in the corner because there's so many they're about what 13 was it trying to remember how many hours like 13 hours ahead i don't know what the time differential is but i bet it's significant i bet you're right it's not even just that like the travel itself is I think the, the shortest travel I saw was 24 hours, and then most of them were in the 30 plus hour range mm-hmm. with multiple stops. And then you get the time change on top of it. Like you're yeah. leaving, you're leaving Boston. It's like fucking next week when you get to Macau. <laughs> it's another I, week. <laughs> it took me, I think, like 20 hours or so, or so to get to Thailand. Well, if I'm not counting my 24-hour layover in China that I had. So it took me a little longer to get to Thailand. But like flight time, I think it was like a whole 20 hours. It's crazy. It took, me two, it took me two days to get there. <laughs> right. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm like, it just doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't it's seem tough. feasible. It definitely is. Yeah. How long did you... It was your trip to Thailand. Like how two many weeks. days? Okay. You have to, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Because you spend two days just traveling you know what I mean? To each get way. each way. And then we did Bangkok the second week. So the first week we did like a bunch of I different high islands in like uh, Phuket. So we did a bunch of island hopping. Once we were like, once we're in Bangkok, we're kind of going to stay in Bangkok. So 
that's why we did Bangkok like at the end of the week. Cause then like we could just leave to the airport and, you know, call it a day. Um, but yeah, it was a good two weeks. So not only did I see the plus two, which is like <laughs> already shot, you're like doing the math, trying to figure out what day it is. Okay, if I leave on a Tuesday, I'm getting there <laughs> Friday. Yeah. Could the the mental math is going, right? But then you look at like the logistics of the flights and you know how it always tells you like, you know, nonstop, one stop, two stops, whatever it is. It would say like two stops. And then it would also underneath in red, it would say different uh, change of airport. So like at one of your stops, at one of your stops, you have to actually get out and go to another airport. (laughs) Yeah, no, fuck that. This is too much. I'm not changing airports mid-flight. I, 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 yes, I agree with that. But if you have enough time <laughs> to do it, I'm all for it. Because I'm all for a travel adventure. But I'm all about like not having to go to a different airport. So it's like you got to go get your bags and then go travel now to another airport and go through like security again. It's a brand new trip. Yeah. It's a brand, that's a different trip. You might as well stay at that location the night and then catch a flight the next day. And it, wow, the, the change of airports, like when I actually looked at it, because I was like, where are we changing airports? And it was like like JFK to like Newark or something. And I'm like, why? There's got to be a, a better way that I don't need to go from Boston to Newark and then drive to JFK and then hop on another flight. Like it just, it was a little wet. Oh, so that's here in the United States. That's not <laughs> when you're out there. No. Oh yeah. No, that's not worth it. Over there. I end up here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you get like an adventure out of it. You're going to like a different city. You've never been. You might but- not understand what's going on, but <laughs> by the time I'm flying to Newark, driving to new york i could have just driven to new york to begin with no <laughs> from boston why are we making an extra day of this like what what is all the commotion for true you might as well just drive to jk and leave your car there oh so needless to say i'm very discouraged by the prospects of trying to get to macau but i really want to get there i want to go oh, man Maybe if flying gets better in a few years, which I highly doubt that because of climate change and everything's a disaster. But if traveling for some reason gets better in a few years, we should try to do it. It's going to have to be a girl's trip because my husband, <laughs> Nuka, <laughs> Nuka. That's fine. It's fine. He's a direct flight only kind of guy. I uh, he also don't blame him for that. <laughs> I can back him up on that. Because these connecting flights suck. I I got him to agree to a trip to Lisbon mm. only because he thought it was like a three-hour flight, a four-hour flight. It's not. He thought it was. Oh, he thought it was? Yes. After I booked it, he was like, so how long is that flight? It's like four hours. And I was like, mm-hmm. it took <laughs> us five to get to the ASOS. So I don't know. What map your map and what is your <laughs> geography map looks like? Oh, okay. So let me tell you a little bit more about why you're gonna want to go to Macau too. Aside from it being like a second Portugal, 
in China and having all the wonderful goodness of like a fused like Asian Portuguese cuisine. Mm. Mm, That Mm. sounds amazing. To die for. To die for. It's like Las Vegas of the East. (laughs) Do I come across as a partier? (laughs) No, but you can't deny that it's like something to see. It's not just like, okay, why would I just go to any old little old town that looks just like Portugal, but it's in China? No, it's like built up Las Vegas strip, bigger than Las Vegas, More does more gambling money, higher GDP than Las Vegas, (laughs) okay? Remember looking at pictures and we're like, wow, this looks beautiful. I'm like, the nightlife in this place. Las Vegas, but... (laughs) waterfront tropical yeah yeah (laughs) palm trees island portuguese las vegas (laughs) like i mean you have everything all in one little one little spot one little destination and you don't even have the oppressive internet blockades that they have in china we gave it back to china but we retained some of the autonomy of being our own place oh nice so like the whole great firewall you know like every major internet site is like blocked in china like you Mm -hmm. can't even can't go to google doesn't apply in macau that's amazing it's like this little mecca this little this little heaven like all the chinese people are like immigrating there quick weekend getaway if you lived in china So the reason that it's a Las Vegas strip is because under Portuguese rule, and it was ruled by Portugal for 442 years, they legalized gambling. And gambling was not legal, still is not legal in China. But they didn't, like, you know, it was already like built yeah, up. Yeah, didn't. Built up. And they were like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to keep that. Yeah, like, just, I guess we'll keep it going. Right. But that's the only place it's legal. It's like uh, kind of like our Vegas. What is it like the the Bunny Ranch? The Bunny Ranch is like I think an escort, and it's like legal there. It's oh, like outside. I like think it's outside of Vegas, right? Yeah. Like I, th- I think it's legal. I just know it's the Bunny Ranch, and it's pros- like it's like es- like an escort thing type of situation. And I thought it was legal because I don't think like escorts are legal. No. Yeah, I applied for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I sent them my bubble, my bumble photo. Speaking from job. a little experience, I see. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like that, where like that's legal there, but the rest of the area isn't. So like gambling's legal in Macau, but not in China. So it's kind of just this oddity, like this yeah. strange place in China. And then you just look and like there's like hundreds of Portuguese restaurants. All the cuisine is very Portuguese inspired, even though they don't necessarily like only like 2% of the population there actually speaks Portuguese like regularly. (laughs) But the cuisine is that's their cuisine. Like that's 400 years of it. That's what the people are used to. Like it's its own thing. Macanese cuisine. It just looked delicious. Honestly, like I remember, so like, good. the bars had, like, pictures of, like, Benfica <laughs> soccer team. 
<laughs> yes. Got, they had bakeries with uh, the natish. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And so I literally looked up like Portuguese food or Portuguese restaurants and it was just like the limit does not exist. It was just like hundreds of hundreds restaurants, of like modern restaurants doing all this like fancy stuff, fancy restaurants, j- then just like your your local low key traditional Portuguese restaurants, the ones with all the Benfica flags inside. <laughs> like, And then in every single picture, it's all Asian people eating at these restaurants. And it's just it's such a a contrast of what you're right. used to. You're like, oh my god, these are Portuguese establishments, but we're in China. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. The people who live there are all Asian, and it was just, it's so cool. And it's so funny to see because we're just used to it here, living in our little city. That's all Portuguese people, so it's mostly all Portuguese old school that you see at restaurants. <laughs> You're right. It's the Portuguese people going to the Portuguese restaurants. Right? Restaurants, yeah. And so I don't know. I thought it was just a really interesting place because you don't necessarily see that fusion between cultures. Yeah, I like when I like when a restaurant does like a mix. Uh, so there's like a restaurant in Providence. I've yet to still go. Portuguese and Guatemalan mix. Ooh, and I'm like, wait. Sign me up. <laughs> I haven't gone yet, but I want to try it. Maybe maybe next time you come home. Yes, I'm in. I'm in. I mean, let's not pretend that like the existence of a colony in China is not like problematic. Like you don't just get colonies. You know, they tried to like take it by force originally and they were unsuccessful. Like they were kept getting defeated by the Chinese in when they were trying to take it by force. And then they just kind of like retreated back and then they like came again years later and they were like maybe we could just come to an agreement (laughs) maybe we could just do this peacefully and they they did china allowed them to establish a trading post there and it was supposed to just be like okay you can have a trading post and here's your you know paperwork that says you can do that and then the portuguese just like kind of started to multiply over there and then they just kind of like we're like, oh, there's a lot of people here now. So like we need government and we need and they just started taking over, if you will. So we just moved in. They ju- we just moved on in like a cockroach. Uh... Family of cockroaches <laughs> and took over. But I guess the problem was that the positions of power and government and authority and everything was all Portuguese. And none okay. of none of the natives, like the natives were just there living under this Portuguese rule all of a sudden. And they weren't being afforded any of these opportunities. Like they were like, it was like segregated. Like you were going to different schools if you were a native than if you were Portuguese. And it was just very. Oh, holy crap. Yeah. So then they, they had like some kind of a revolt in 19, the 1960s, 1966. There was an, an event where they were trying to build a school for some of the natives and it they, the Portuguese were just like not giving them the building permits to be able to do it. And they just finally like revolted and had this huge event that mm-hmm. eventually culminated in Portugal being like, time for us to start to move out. They maintained rule from then until 99, but like they were kind of like de facto already not ruling. Like the, uh, China was okay. kind of like already like de facto governor, like over there from the 60s until 99 until it became official like they just kind of like okay let's just 
go through the paperwork. I think Portugal wanted to give it back to China earlier, like in the 80s. And China was like, we're not ready. You you have to keep it <laughs> until we're ready to take it back. We're not ready. They declined. <laughs> Respectfully, we declined your offer to give this land back to us. We're not mentally ready. <laughs> So then they eventually, like, once they had all their ducks in a row, I think they didn't want it to, like, mess with, like, getting Hong Kong back. It was a whole thing. And then Hong Kong went back, and then Portugal officially handed Macau back to China. That was such a great history lesson. (laughs) And I feel like in your next life, you should teach history just like that. (laughs) Or you should stop making, like, TikTok videos of teaching history. Do you want to know how it got called Macau? How? It's like, it's so sad to hear how this shit comes up because it's just like, it's a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, yeah, this is how everything is named. This is why things are the way they are, because a bunch of fucking idiots at one time did some shit. So the Portuguese, when they arrived there, obviously they couldn't communicate like effectively with the locals because there's a language barrier. And the locals believed in this sea goddess. And I guess... They had a temple using her name and the pronunciation, I guess, was Makok, like M-A-K-O-K. And when the Portuguese explorers first arrived in the area and they asked the people what the place was called, like what what's the name of this place? The locals thought that they were asking about the temple. And so they told him it was Makok. And then the Portuguese were just like, okay. And then they just spelled like a Macau or something. Yeah. Like, however they thought they heard it and then they just like kind of evolved into macau out of that but it's just like like you're naming the place right right as if yeah it like doesn't already have a name first of all and then like you're not even taking the time knowing, to actually yeah to like know what they're even saying you're just saying, like oh yeah. i heard them say this word it sounds like macau hey Juan, write that down <laughs> oh man it's kind of fucked <laughs> And then it's just forever kind of messed up. Some fucking schmal just writing down what he thought he heard, even though he, the person didn't even know what you were asking them. Do you know what it was called before? So the whole Macau Peninsula said it had many names in Chinese, including Jingao, Haojing, and Haojingao. None of which sound like Macau. Right. But- <laughs> None of them sounds like Macau. It's just so ignorant. It's so disrespectful. That makes me so angry. Because now I'm like, I'm just thinking of like today's time and like say like somebody not understanding like my parents speaking and just like being ignorant to them because, you know, like my parents don't speak English. So it's just like, (laughs) like, a (laughs) guys, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff about Macau. I had a bunch of it here, but like in the interest of moving this episode along, I won't bore you with the history lessons, but really interesting stuff if you want to go and look it up. If you want to ask me about it, I'll, I'll happily get into a conversation with you about my cow. But the other fun thing that I learned was that in terms of life expectancies across the globe, the entire world, number one in the world for Women life expectancy. Ayo. Ayo is right. <laughs> Second overall for men and women combined. Oh, wow. Holy shit. 
nearly 88 years old is the life expectancy for women in Macau. That's awesome. Number one in the world. And they treat Macau. Macau is on there and Hong Kong are both on there separate from their country, even though they're not a distinct country of their own. So do you think they just like live off the land? And that's how I always feel like that's the way to go is to live off the land. Have you seen the skyline in Macau? They ain't living <laughs> off the land. I know. This is centered is- by this giant hotel Lisboa skyscraper. skyscraper. That is one thing. Yes, you're right. When we did look up pictures, it's definitely not like the farming aspect of like Portugal and like the Azores. (laughs) It's more of like a definitely a city life. (laughs) I think I saw the picture of the Hotel Lisboa when I looked it up. I think we saw that because didn't we joke that like we could stay there? We're like, look, boom, we got a place to stay. So I don't know what it is, but if you want to know what the... The other place that is battling it for first and second spot. So Hong Kong is the first overall. And then they just flip. They just flip flop. So Macau is second for men and women total. And Hong Kong is second for women. So there's something about being a Chinese territory that was foreignly owned for some time. And then hands it back to China under different rules than the rest of China <laughs> that increases your life expectancy. Do you think that's what happened? Do you think that's what it is? It's a very specific set of circumstances. Yeah, it's what they have in common, right? Right. So now they're both like Chinese, but they don't have the same regime and rules and systems in place that the rest of China has. They have these like exceptions to the rule. Yeah. And in doing so, they have increased their life expectancy. <laughs> They're allowed to go on the internet. <laughs> they can gamble. They get to eat that Portuguese cuisine. But what about us? Like, we can do all that. So I knew you would be curious to see where Portugal yes. and USA fell on the list. So Portugal is 22nd for women only. Okay. 28th overall combined men and women. Not bad. Not no, bad. Not bad. All the countries that we have in, you know what I mean, in this world? Yeah, there was like 200 and some odd countries yeah. listed, right? USA, 57th for women, 58th overall. Still not bad. I thought it was going to be way worse. <laughs> not ideal. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not, not ideal. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. 56 <laughs> countries ahead of us. <laughs> That's a lot of countries. I thought it would be a lot worse, though. With all those McDonald's and Wendy's and Dunkin' Donuts around the corner. (laughs) So I think it's about like a 10-year differential between USA. I think women's life expectancy was maybe like 78 years old. And you're looking at 88 in Macau. 10 years on the average. that's, That's significant. I wonder, like, do you think it could work? Where like, so say you're like pushing to your seven, like you're in the United States and you're like 70 something and you're like, all right, I'm going to now move to Macau. Do you think just be by making that move, you get another 10 extra years? Because now I, like, I think <laughs> the damage is done. I think the damage is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the traveling, the fucking three days will kill you. And you I'm ain't going to make it. <laughs> 
You ain't making it to Macau. A little plus two over there. <laughs> nope. You shouldn't be taking trips with a plus two on it at that advanced age. You're right. You're right. You're right. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I think we need to move now. We still have, we have hope if we we still have hope if we move now. I think. Yeah. Or we screw too. I don't know. Say la. I ate a lot of pop tarts in my youth. <laughs> I eat a lot of pop socks still now. That's good. That's good. You're eating what the people in the top of this <laughs> list are eating. I don't know. I had two. I had two with Bank the other day for breakfast. Oh, their cuisine. They like the some of the fusion cuisine. They'll have like like a pork bao bun kind of thing, but it's like a pop suck as the bao bun. Ooh. Oh, we're moving. That's all I need. They were making a dish called cabadella, patud cabadella, which I think is like some kind of duck dish because patu is duck, right? Yeah. Patu de naldu in Fall River. Yeah, that's how I always remember as a duck. But cabadella, I think it's like a blood sauce. I think it's like, like the sauce is blood. Ooh. And vinegar or something? Um, I might have to skip that one. <laughs> might have to skip that meal. But I think it's like a Portuguese thing. Cabadella. Yeah, I still, I still might have to just skip it completely. <laughs> How is it spelled? C-A-B-I-D-E-L-A. It just looks like a regular dish, but I think it's blood sauce. The picture I'm looking at, it looks like it's something that my mom's made, but I'm not really sure. It could be something that looks similar. It says like the peculiarity of the dish is that the hen's blood is added almost at the end, mixed with vinegar so it doesn't clot while the rice is boiling. And the blood is captured when the animal is slaughtered and imparts a brown color to the dish. Ass. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm always looking for a good segue. So what better way to segue into our nostalgia segment than by talking about gambling in china Mm -hmm. and so we were talking about macau and the gambling rules there a little game that i wanted to talk about is mahjong they skirt the rules a little bit because mahjong is so culturally associated with the chinese like it's been around since like 500 bc but gambling's illegal they basically make some rules associated with mahjong like you can't have Uh, drinking or smoking and they group people into teams and they consider it a sport so they can have mahjong parlors that are not gambling because they're a sport (laughs) you're playing a sport of mahjong but you can't gamble for money though it's a sport right like they can play this sport but there's no money i'm sure they do like tournament style stuff with like winners that win money Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Probably. Yeah. You're right. You know yeah, what I mean? Like that. But mm-hmm. it's a sport. It's a yeah. sport. <laughs> so it's legal. Yeah. Legal. All above board. Not, <laughs> it's not a back room mahjong parlor. <laughs> you could play it in the front room as long as you're not drinking or smoking and you have a team. It's a team sport. Okay. It's funny how you like how you can find a loophole 
to like anything if you want it so bad. If there's like something in this world that you want so bad, you can find a loophole for it. <laughs> yes. So Mahjong to me, I'm going to explain this to you because my mom was really into Mexican train, the domino game. Have you ever played that? I know so, dominoes, but I don't know the specific game. So there's a domino variation called Mexican train. My mom was really into that game. And I wanted to get her something for her birthday. And I'm like, oh, are there any other games out there that are kind of like that? Maybe like what else can I get her to play? She's in, She enjoys playing games. And I stumbled upon Mahjong. And I was thinking in my brain when I bought this for her as a gift, this Mahjong tile set. I thought Mahjong was the game I used to play on the computer that came with like the Windows 95 entertainment package. Same. <laughs> Where the t- the tiles are like all like kind of piled up like a pyramid and you like match them. You just like mm-hmm. make you make pairs and they like disappear and you try to like get them all off the board to win. And that's Mahjong Solitaire. So that's like a one player version of Mahjong that the one that used to be on the computer. Okay, yeah, that's the only one I'm aware of. Completely different from the regular normal game of Mahjong, which is like a four-player situation, and it's like more like a Rummy-style game. So I was like, oop, my bad. I bought you this big expensive (laughs) Mahjong set, thinking you could just like play some Mahjong solitaire with it, which I guess she could. I guess she could, but on the computer, (laughs) it was like, it was already set up in formation. Yeah. And I just want to say that I play that game a lot on the computer, and I never knew what I was playing. Like, I never knew the rules. Okay, I was like, what I- is this game? I was just clicking okay. things, right? Talking better because I like you're smart, so I always feel like you probably played it, and like you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I fucking played it, but I had no idea what I was doing at the time. <laughs> no. No, but like there's only so many games on the computer. So eventually right. you dabbled in the Mahjong. <laughs> and I remember it always coming up with this like error message. And it would be like, that is not a free tile. That is not a free tile. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. Try to make the matches. But like you can only match it if it's like a free tile to be able to move. Like if it's not like bound on the sides by other tiles. But like. Do you know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I think I learned how to play the game by you just telling me. But I was always just like clicking shit and you try to make matches and try to like get rid of all the tiles. Mm. Yeah. But like I could never quite understand the concept. I was like, why are these two not a match? Like, why are you not letting me click this? You'd be like, that's not a free tile. And I'm like, why? Why is it not a free tile? Who sets the rules for what makes it a free tile? I could never. And then sometimes I think you could press for like a hint and it would like light up two tiles and as your next yeah move. i think you can like yeah i think you can ask for a hint so i think i would always say that <laughs> and then you just click on the two tiles it told you to match and then you keep going yeah oh yeah so i think the other name that that was sometimes referred to was taipei so it might have i don't remember on my computer taipei sounded really familiar to me so i don't know if that was what it showed up as on my computer or if it showed up under the name mahjong but like you could have them set up the tiles in different formations. So there was like the turtle formation was like the normal one, yeah. kind of pyramidy, and then there was like the ox or the snake, and it was just like mm-hmm. different variations. I remember that. Oh, you're taking me back right now. Yeah, it was good. I I oh, I could go on about 
Windows 95 entertainment package games like Chips Challenge. <laughs> I was very into Chips Challenge. Okay. Chips Challenge. And when's that coming to me? I'll have to show you uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a screenshot of it, but I was very into Chips Challenge. So, but, <laughs> and there was like a ski scot- slalom one. Yeah, I remember the one. ski one. And like the abominable snowman would come out and like eat you up yeah, at the end. This is sad. I only got the games that would be on the computer already. These, these were all these were yeah. all preloaded games. <laughs> but I digress. We're gonna continue on Mahjong, right? So now I had bought this game for my mom, and I'm like, oh my god, this isn't what I thought it was. So now I have to learn how to actually play the real four player Mahjong. And it was intense. I had to buy a book, like a whole separate book. Oh my god. <laughs> a hundred page novel so that I could read the rules and learn how to play Mahjong. And I did. And then I had to teach my mom how to play Mahjong. And I did. And I taught my husband and we we played together. And it's actually really fun and I really enjoy it. But it's not a game that you can just like teach someone like on the fly. Cause I've tried okay. that several times where like I'm just at like a get together and they're like, oh, I want to learn how to play Mahjong and I'll bust out the Mahjong. And it takes like the entire night just to like get them up to speed on the rules. And then you're like, this is not fun. And you still don't know what we're doing. So like unless it's like going to be a commitment where like, okay, I'm going to play Mahjong with these people repeatedly. Yes. Not a one and done. Like you cannot teach somebody Mahjong in one sitting. So duly noted next time I come up. And if we play a game, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're not playing Mahjong. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And it's very complicated. So there's like these cards that they change them every year. They come out with these new cards. And there's like a 100 different combinations of hands that you could use to win the game. So like the entire time, you just have this thing in front of you with all these like numbers and symbols and you're like looking for like which hand do I want to play and there's like a hundred to pick from and you're like uh, this is very overwhelming and it's supposed yeah. to be a fast paced game like the actual pace at which Chinese people play Mahjong is fast very fast okay the pace at which my husband and I play Mahjong we will spend the entire night playing one hand yeah and isn't that is it is one round good or no. like one round no okay no <laughs> You're supposed to play multiple rounds and keep score and all of that. Oh, okay. Okay. So you guys end up kind of just doing one round. We do one round and like the winner is the winner and that's it. (laughs) Because each time it's our turn, we are just like looking over this card of a hundred choices and we're trying to like make the best strategic move. Whereas like the Chinese people have that card committed to memory. Damn. And it changes every year and they commit that to memory. They know all the hands, they know the possibilities and they are just rapid fire playing this game. Like I told you, Crazy Rich Asians, that movie has um, a Mahjong as like part of the plot and the storytelling there. And there's like, they're in a Mahjong parlor and it's fast. If you're watching them play, it's very quick. It's like, it's your turn. You make a move, you put a tile down, you pick a tile up next person and they keep going. And me and my husband, it's like, we we set like a timer. It's like, you got like five <laughs> minutes to decide when it's your turn because we're so slow. Yeah, that's not my type of game. Yeah, that would make me nervous. It, so it's n- nicknamed the game of a thousand intelligences. The game oh, yeah. of a thousand <laughs> intelligences. <laughs> Stop for me. <laughs> <laughs> They said that people can have epileptic seizures. 
Oh my god, this is serious. From prolonged playing of Mahjong, it can trigger seizures. It said it may be due to stress and complex manual movement correlated with intense brain function. <laughs> Similar to playing chess or card games such as poker. Usa. Imagine playing at a speed of like your brain is computing so much and you're going so fast and manually doing all this that you're having a seizure. That's insane. That's that's you're like invested in a game. I do not play at seizure pace. <laughs> you don't. No. You play at like a snail's pace. <laughs> yes. This was a very Jewish thing. It, when this got brought to the U.S., and I'm going to tell you about how this got brought to the U.S., but okay, it got like the Jewish women community. They were like, "That's our game. That's for us." It's very associated and tied into Jewish culture too. You're never going to believe how this comes to the U.S. If you had to guess, like, who's the person who's selling this game? Not (laughs) who you're going to say. Yeah. I'll tell you who you wouldn't guess. If you had a thousand guesses, you wouldn't say that the first retailer of Mahjong in the U.S. was Abercrombie & Fitch. I'm sure that wasn't going to top the list. Not at all. (laughs) But Abercrombie & Fitch was the first retailer of Mahjong in the U.S. And I just found this so fascinating. And I went down a huge Abercrombie and Fitch rabbit hole when I found out that piece of information because I was like, what? Abercrombie and Fitch is a store that sells overpriced, problematic <laughs> clothing. <laughs> and it's the reason that like our generation had like eating disorders back in the, the early 2000s. Seriously. What do they have to do with Mahjong? Yeah. And so uh, I looked up the history of Abercrombie and Fitch, and it was originally this outdoorsy, outdoorsman type store. It would sell fishing poles and leather bound books that smelled of mahogany and <laughs> just outdoorsy things. Like Teddy Roosevelt was a, a consumer, a customer. Of Abercrombie and Fitch. He'd go in there with his hat on with a little beaver tail and he would <laughs> buy some guns. They sold guns. It's a very different Abercrombie and Fitch than we know today. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's like a very higher price brass pro shop. Yes. More like expensive, elite, maybe even nicer. Yeah. Yes, very much like all American but elite status outdoorsman. Yeah. Not anyone not just everyone not anyone's gonna go into Abercrombie and go buy a gun. Who did go into Abercrombie and buy a gun was Ernest Hemingway. Mm. And unfortunately he ended up he had multiple guns from there, I guess, and then he used one of them to commit suicide in the sixties. And then his his wife like took the rest of his guns and like put them back on consignment (laughs) at Abercrombie and Fitch was like, You can have these back. You can sell these. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. So that's like the 60s. Like they were still selling guns in the 60s. Like what the fuck? What am I even reading? Right? Not too long ago, if you think about it, you know what I mean? In history. Right. So it was like the 20s was like when they started selling the Mahjong. In the 60s, they were apparently still selling guns. Like what? By the 1970s. They were known for this extensive inventory of lavish items. For example, they had 
an $18,000 golden onyx chess set that was for sale, which in $2022 is like $135,000 equivalent. This Christ. Yeah. So that's the type of story you're walking into. Right. Like back at that time, it was like you could buy a house with that money right. or you could buy a chess <laughs> set. <laughs> so they they had to start shedding some of these high price items because it was starting to not work out for their business model. And then they went bankrupt in the 80s. As one does. <laughs> As one does after you buy out all of the Mahjong sets from villages in China. Like they literally went to China, went to okay, villages and bought up these Mahjong sets to bring them to the US. But it got bought out by some company after it went bankrupt. Like the the they closed all the stores, but then like the brand itself got sold to like the mailing list and it had some value, inherent value in the brand. And it got bought out by some company who held it for not too long. And then it gets bought out by Les Wexler, who apparently is like the quote unquote, the Merlin of the mall. This guy oh. was like the mall mastermind of that time period, 80s, 90s, whatever, 2000s. His his company, his little company has a little portfolio of things like, I don't know, Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works, the limited, the limited two, or like any mall chain that you would have ever heard of or seen in a mall. This guy fucking owns them. They're all the fucking same company. Does he's got like any grandsons available? <laughs> You're not gonna want to get involved with this. So okay. <laughs> take that back. Interestingly, he's from Ohio. Do you know that song? You know that artist Jax that made up the song about Victoria's Secret? I know Victoria's Secret. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. She's singing about Les Wexler. It's like, I know Victoria's Secret. She was made up by a dude, an old man who lives in Ohio, making money off of girls like me, cashing in on body issues. It's about this dude. He's the old man in Ohio. He's Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> he knows Victoria's secrets. He knows Victoria's secrets. Okay. So I'm like, all right. Wow. This is like, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Right. Mm -hmm. Side note. And this I learned from watching the Netflix documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Very good. Very nostalgic. You should go watch it. I'm adding it to my list. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein gets brought up in this mix. Apparently, apparently, this Les Wexler Les dude, the old man in living in Ohio, he gave Jeffrey Epstein like access to women by saying he was like a modeling recruiter of some kind or whatever. So like they were like buddy buddy, and they were gross. They, they were tied together, and he maybe knowingly, unknowingly, I don't know the details, but facilitate right, yeah. his access to women that's where we're yeah. at with the yeah. that's where we're at with this story and then les wexler hires a ceo new ceo once he bought up abercrombie and fitch and he was like we need to turn this bad boy around he hires this guy mike jeffries and this guy starts with his vision of I'm going to sell a certain thing. I'm going to sell all American. I'm going to sell white people, basically. Elitism, sex and naked people, 
And somehow I'm going to use that to sell T-shirts and jeans. And so he creates this whole like Abercrombie and Fitch as we knew it growing up. Right. Which is like the naked man models at the door and on the bags yeah. and whatever. And I just think it's so interesting because like they they were using a lot of like nude models to sell clothing. So it was just like, right. <laughs> it didn't make sense. <laughs> the the marketing yeah. model is a little off. Like, what are you they selling? Would wear, they would wear like the Abercrombie jeans. <laughs> they go. did, but they did a lot of um, photographs of actually like fully nude. Oh, really? They'd oh. be like playing. They'd be playing like rugby in the park, and they would just all be like. In poses oh. that you couldn't see, like their privates, and, but they were like yeah. fully nude. They were wearing zero clothing for a clothing brand advertised. Oh, that, yeah, that's great marketing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sex sells, so I guess it doesn't matter. So, going through in this Netflix doc, it was like it started with them talking about like how influential, like this marketing and this, you know, we were the target audience for this. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we were at the age when this was coming out and they were targeting our demographic, our age group. And these people are going in there and being like, people would cut out the pictures of the guys off the bags and like hang them in their locker. Like the Abercrombie models yeah. would be like cut out from the bag hanging in their locker. They would That's use them crazy. as book covers. They would like fold the bags over and like use it as a book cover. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> You want a cutie on your on your textbook. <laughs> I mean, I was using the stop and shop bags, but <laughs> same. I didn't have an Abercrombie bag to use as a book cover. <laughs> no. I didn't get much stuff out of Abercrombie until I actually had a job. <laughs> I think I owned like one sweatshirt from Abercrombie yeah, and Fitch, like- and it was because I bought it myself because there was a no way my parents were gonna pay that amount of dinged for that sweatshirt. For no Nuka. freaking reason. There's a perfectly no. good sweatshirt across the way. <laughs> Go walk over there to Old Navy. They're uh, two for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> two for a dollar. <laughs> same, same here. You're buying a sweatshirt just because it says Abercrombie. That's it. Right. And I was like, that's it. My parents were not about that life. No, <laughs> absolutely not. This sweatshirt made of gold. Why is it $150? Like, the mall that's close to us, well, close to me, didn't even have an Abercrombie. <laughs> no, they knew their demographic in that area. <laughs> there was a pay less. There yeah. was a pay less. There was there not was. an Abercrombie. <laughs> so. so a lot of the documentary is focused on their hiring practices. And there was a whole lawsuit associated with that because they would literally hire based on looks. They would fire based on looks. They would exclude um, minorities. They would exclude any non-white people, basically. If you happen to get hired as a non-white person, you would eventually either be put like in the stock room, out back at the closing shift, or they would just work you right out of the schedule entirely. Like they would just stop scheduling you for hours. So Oh my God, that's awful. They would have other I'm things not surprised, like but that's awful. No, there was other situations where like um one of the guys that was ended up being part of the, like the class action lawsuit was literally told we already have too many Filipinos working at this store. Like sorry, we can't hire you. Even if the store was located in an area that was like predominantly Asian, like an Asian yeah. community or something like that, like 
obviously the workers there are going to rep- be representative of what the community looks like. And like the CEO would come through the store and be like, no, there's too many Asian people working here. We need to oh see my more. God. They'd be like, we need to see more people who look like that. And they'd like point to like one of the like advertisements, like working at the store. So like they were blatantly racist and they didn't really take ownership of it. Cause even with the class action lawsuit, it was like they had a hard enough time finding people to be part of it because they hired so few non-white people to begin with. It was like the pool of people that was even available that had like ever worked at Abercrombie because like you only you kind of had a case if you were like, oh, I worked there and then they fired me because of my race or something like that. But the amount of people that that even got hired to begin with was so small that they were like they had such a small pool of people to be like asking about for this class action lawsuit. But like just think of the like the applications or like the interviews that they would deny the people. They just like wouldn't even hire the person because they were Asian or if they were like if because they were black or something. They were very blatant about like they would have an interview with somebody and then they would write like in the notes like shit about them. Like one case went to the Supreme Court because a woman wore like a hijab. It literally like in the interview notes, it was like wearing a black headscarf question mark and then they didn't hire her because of it oh my god and then it went to the supreme court and she won good oh my oh (laughs) oh my god it's awful but in general with that other class action lawsuit with the people that were represented from the documentary abercrombie didn't even take accountability for it whatsoever they were like, oh, we didn't hire you because you were ugly, not because of your race. That's how that was their argument. Imagine oh adding insult That's to injury. Awful. Yeah. Like that was their defense. Like, no, it's because you're you're not hot. It's not because of your race. Wow. Imagine the freaking your, the confidence and the self-esteem after you hear that. That's what I'm saying. Like how ridiculous so that was the way that they would get out of being like oh no it's not a race uh, a race thing or racial discrimination thing it's if we have a certain look and if you don't fit this look then we're not hiring you or whatever yeah well hitler also had a certain look right right so they still settled with the class auction lawsuit for like 40 million dollars or something and i think there was only like eight people associated with it so like these people hopefully got a decent amount of money out of that but the court had to hold them also accountable to like a few like standards like they had to hire like a diversity inclusion officer and they had to do certain things so the other thing that came out of this little like court settlement or whatever was a loophole i know you said before you could find a loophole for anything if you want one bad enough right they decided they were going to start calling their employees models Oh, okay. They like they weren't like customer service reps and they weren't sales associates, they were models. They would get away with a lot more under that terminology. If they're hiring a quote unquote model, they can't get in trouble for not hiring someone because they're ugly. Based on their looks, right? You could modeling, you could be more discriminatory in using that language. Right. And so they would hire they would hire for two positions. They would hire what was called an impact position, impact. And that was like, you were like stalking or you were like doing actual work, I guess. <laughs> and then yeah. models, 
which you were still like running the register, but you were a model. Oh my god! And then just, but just think of the work environment that creates now. Me, I'm I'm working at Abercrombie with this beautiful girl, and like I'm not a model because I'm ugly. But that girl that's like at the register is is beautiful. You know what I mean? Like it's just, ooh. <laughs> It fires me up. <laughs> you know, you know, we'd be in the back, back in boxes. Shut up. You're going to be, I'm going to be a model. Listen, the most flattered I've ever been in my entire life was I was on break from my JCPenney job at the mall and I was walking in the food court and this recruiter stopped me and asked if I wanted a job at Hollister. <laughs> oh, bitch, you would have been a model then. Get out of my face. I did not want that job in any way, shape, or form. But I think I like went in and like talked to her. I might have even filled out an application because I was just, I was so flattered. <laughs> I was like, me? <laughs> you talking to me? I would have been an <laughs> impact, impact <laughs> employee. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I was like, well, if I have to check my, my, uh, heritage off on the application <laughs> form it's gonna be in the reject pile 100 percent portuguese her dad's yeah, from would, a source <laughs> they don't want you they thought they would not want you no i'm too ethnic <laughs> so you'd write it down your application too too ethnic i know bilingual nope <laughs> this is an all-american position ma'am oh my god it's all so I think one of the things that turned me off would be like, no way am I working there was they would make you buy the clothes. Yeah. To work there. Like you you had to buy clothes and only show up to work in those clothes. And I was like, so I'm like net zero on the paycheck. <laughs> Is that where we're at? Like, I'm just working to buy the clothes to go to work. Like. <laughs> You're like a negative. I was like, like, this is a minimum wage job. Like, this is seven fifty an hour. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I gotta buy your seventy five dollars sweatshirt over there. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. No, you're right. I totally forgot about that. That aspect of it. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like at least give me like give me a starter pack. <laughs> Let me like grab a pair of jeans. <laughs> A couple of teas, and then I can build my wardrobe, <laughs> wardrobe up. <laughs> yeah, there was it was not happening for me. <laughs> and you couldn't ask your parents either, because they would be like, "Wait, what? How are you? That doesn't make any sense. You got a job, but you can't buy their clothes." No, that doesn't pass the the daddy daddy immigrant <laughs> logic test. No. All right, my favorite part of the documentary and i actually saw this clip circulating the internet before i even heard of this documentary like weeks ago months ago i whatever i saw this clip circulating the internet and it's just this guy and he's standing there and he is describing malls okay like, like it's like yeah it's, it's trying to describe mall culture and like what a mall was and he's trying to do it in like, I don't know, layman's terms. I don't know who he's describing this to, Gen Gen Z. I don't know who he thinks his audience is, but I'm going to quote what he says. He says, okay. imagine like a search engine you could walk through 
or like an online catalog that's an actual place. (laughs) And I had to just like pause it and just fucking cackle and just be like, is this where we are as a society that we're using the online world and the internet and search engines as a way to describe what a mall (laughs) is? That's sad if that's the case. Because malls are still existent for now. <laughs> so I just thought that was super interesting. The other thing they said in the documentary was like Abercrombie and Fitch sort of like peaked. Their peak was when the LFO song came out. Oh, my God. No, it wasn't. Like that's what they were like, oh, this is it for us. We knew we made it as a company when LFO came out with Summer Girls. <laughs> I like girls oh who God. wear Abercrombie, bitch. <laughs> that song. It's a bop. So that's when they peaked. And then it kind of started to go downhill after that. But I'm going to give you a quote from the CEO, Mike Jeffries. Okay. He said this at one point. He was being questioned. I don't know. Maybe in one of his lawsuits. Who knows? Maybe in an interview. I don't know. But is he is- still a current like CEO? No. That we know. Oh, okay. No. This guy says, quote, that's why we hire good looking people in our stores, because good looking people attract other good looking people. And we want to market to cool, good looking people. We don't market to anyone other than that. In every school, there are the cool and the popular kids. And then there are the not so cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. Oh, my God. (laughs) That makes me fucking sick. Isn't that sad? Fuck you. (laughs) That's awful. There's a bunch of kids like me and you. A bunch of us that couldn't afford to shop at this place. <laughs> and when we actually could afford to buy a freaking t-shirt or a sweatshirt from there from a job that we were getting paid minimum wage at, like six seventy-five or whatever it was at the time, we were so excited to finally get like a shirt or a freaking pair of jeans from there, Abercrombie Fitch. And then you got this asshole that's saying it doesn't even belong to us, like to us, our type of people. Like you (laughs) this makes me so bad (laughs) oh like that's the that's the vibe he was going for and that's the effect it had because yeah as a kid think about it like you wanted nothing more than to fit in and to be like seen in an Abercrombie shirt so that you could feel like you you like belongs or like that you were cool I remember specifically this is how bad it was I remember specifically because I couldn't afford any of it but no yeah I was like, I'm not buying the jeans because, like, you can't even tell that they're, like, Abercrombie jeans. So, it was like, I never had a pair of jeans from there. I was like, you wanted to, like, if you were going to buy something from there, you needed to have Abercrombie, like, strewn across the chest, loud and proud, so people knew that that's what it was. Oh, God, it makes me so sick. It makes me so sick. And all we were doing was lying in this guy's fucking pockets. Yeah. And here I am today, so comfortable like i will buy i will go and buy like a freaking shirt from target even like even freaking walmart i'm like oh this this is cute like oh man our the mindset like our mindset at that age it just as we were reading that i'm like wow now i understand 
a lot of the public schools here in my area, I don't know if your area, the uh, they're making kids wear uniforms. Really? So like all the kids have to wear like a uniform. At least I don't think that not the high schools, but like the elementary, like middle school kids we have to wear a uniform. I don't know if it's all schools have done this, but a lot of them have now at this point. And I'm assuming it kind of like reminds me of this. Like maybe it's just make it equal. Kids can't bully other kids about what someone's wearing. Parents don't need to worry about being able to afford something really nice for their kids. I don't know. Like this, this guy, <laughs> sorry, this makes me angry. It really does. Cause like if you, it- at our age, we were so impressionable. But, like, if we actually, like, knew all of this that was, like, churning behind the scenes, we would have never wanted to be in that clothing. We would have been like, this is so yeah. fucking fucked up. But we just didn't know. We were oblivious to all of that. Very naive. We go after the attractive all-American kid. Yeah, we are definitely not. We're not. Because if we don't fit in that criteria. <laughs> We're not all American. Sorry. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't want their clothes in our community. <laughs> like, what do you mean, Portuguese people are wearing our clothes? No, we gotta stop that. Oh, what a dick. <laughs> and so this guy had like a bunch of plastic surgeries, and he started off somewhat normal looking. He was this like California dude guy. Oh God. By the end of the the documentary, the pictures that they were showing of him, and he he obviously chose not to comment on for the documentary, so he's not in it. He's just like okay. has pictures or old videos of him from other mm-hmm. things. And by the end of it, he is so plastic surgeryed out that like I want to say he looks like Gary Busey, but oh wow, it would be like an insult to Gary Busey to say that. So he just looks so like wild at the end of this. I have to look him up after because I got to see this. It's so funny that these ex-CEOs, ex-CEOs are just like, nope, <laughs> tight lip. <laughs> they won't speak. He literally, they said he was like on the phone with execs on Thursday talking about normal shit. And then he just didn't show up for work on Friday, like the next day. He was just like gone. They never heard from him again. And I was like, Okay. Oh, so like even like till this day, they don't know why he they don't know why he didn't show up. I assume the board just like, please pack your knives and go. Oh, okay. Maybe if there is a possibility that he's like not allowed to talk about it. I don't know. Like depending on how that exit was structured between the board and him, maybe it's like in his best interest to like zip the lip. Otherwise he has to like return money to them or something. I don't know what the deal was, but that's a good point. They might have an agreement. Some kind of gag order of some yeah. kind. You know what I mean? My final concluding thought on Abercrombie and Fitch, this did not come from the documentary. I do not believe they mentioned this in the documentary. I found this little nugget on my own after the fact. <laughs> Maybe. I can't remember. Maybe it's in the documentary. So Jersey Shore cast... Apparently, they would wear Abercrombie and Fitch on the show. Yeah, that was my jam. <laughs> and Abercrombie and Fitch came out and offered them money, not insignificant amounts. I think it was maybe like $10,000 each or something for yeah. them to stop wearing the brand. They didn't want 
to be associated with the Jersey Shore cast and that image and that persona. Yeah, because they weren't quote unquote all American. <laughs> They're exactly. Italian. <laughs> exactly. And then Mike, the situation, Sorrentino, there was a whole lawsuit associated with him because after Abercrombie and Fitch did this, they were like, oh, we don't want you wearing a shit. They went out and they took the little graphic tees that they make and they started putting Jersey Shore related shit on the graphic tees. So they were, they made a shirt that was like GTL, like gin, gym tanning laundry, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They made one that said the fituation. <laughs> the fituation, Abercrombie and Fitch just play on Mike Sorrentino's nickname, the situation. And so he went after them and tried to sue them in like for using his likeness or his terminology or whatever it is. He lost, unfortunately. Aww. But he did call them out and he was successful yeah. in calling them out and being like, well, it's kind of effed up that you're going to pay me money to not have me wearing your shit because you don't want me associated w- with it. But then you're also going to go and make things based on me and sell them in your t-shirt line yeah no yeah and like, make it make sense yeah it doesn't make sense how contradictory is that like yeah that's so messed up and like wouldn't you want like a popular show like that to be wearing your stuff like you as like a store brand like american eagle whatever hollister wouldn't you be like oh shit like this new sh- popular show on mtv like it's killing it it's still on today these kids are wearing our stuff like also like now today's world they like send you free shit <laughs> so you can promote it on insta <laughs> so it's a great point and they brought that up in the documentary some of the people were talking about how like i get that you want to be exclusionary but is that really good for business like aren't you trying yeah. to sell more shit so wouldn't it be in your best interest to be more inclusive and have yeah. more people want to buy your brand you would think but goes back to maybe how Abercrombie first came out. Remember, it was such an elite store, like a elite sportsman store, and they failed clearly. <laughs> Let's try it again. Yeah, pay. no, yeah. nope, still fails. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have to give them some credit. So there's a new CEO now. They've obviously like changed a lot of shit about how they hire and fire and who works there and their diversity and all of that stuff. So like. I guess it's changed. I don't know. I have not been in an Abercrombie store since 2005. <laughs> Same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going in there. Not after I, I know too much. <laughs> you know too much now. <laughs> you know what? You didn't want me wearing your shit back then. <laughs> not going to wear it now. <laughs> exactly. We hope you enjoyed this journey. I sure did. Through China, through Abercrombie and Fitch, right to the Jersey Shore. It always comes back to the Jersey Shore. (laughs) Does it? Does it? (laughs) Well, guys, thanks for listening. We will see you next week.